everyone, David James Young here for another episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Hope things are going well for you. Hope you have been getting out to see as much live music as you can. And I hope that continues well on into your weekend. Uh, we are back with a brand new episode with a really, really cool guest who I will tell you about in just a moment. Uh, but before that, as usual, we have some people to thank for keeping this podcast up and running. The first of which is the Sad Girls Club. You know about Sad Girls Club. You know that they are a non-male music collective helping to bring non-male voices into industry light. And uh, some of those non-male voices include... Perth band Lionizer. Lionizer are coming out uh, from Western Australia uh, and they are doing three shows on the East Coast put on by Sad Girls Club uh, in Sydney, Wollongong and Newcastle on the 15th, 16th and 17th of April. Uh, on the 15th of April, they will be playing at Jura Books in Sydney and that is with Rachel Maria Cox and me. Yep, that's right, Nothing Rhymes With David will be playing that show as well. Uh, on the 16th of April, they will be playing the Queer and Now Festival at Jane's in Wollongong. And on the 17th of April, they will be playing at Drone, uh, formerly known as Hombre Records in Newcastle. Uh, for all the information on that, you can head over to facebook.com slash lionizerband. That is L-I-O-N. I-Z-E-R band. And of course, you can head over to sadgirlsclub.com. That is S-A-D-G-R-R-R-L-S-C-L-U-B.com. Support also comes from Spit the Dummy Records, the Sydney-based DIY label making things happen, distributing dead formats to the masses, uh, including a brand new release from Suburban Haze. It is their brand new EP. It is called It Will Never Happen. And uh, right now, uh, some very cool ways to access that record. Uh, it is streaming in its entirety on the Pile Rats website. And if you head over to themusic.com.au, you can enter a competition to win the record on vinyl. Uh, so for links to that and more information, head over to Spit the Dummy Records on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash we are Spit the Dummy. I always said that like that Justice versus Simeon song. We are Spit the Dummy. Anyway, uh, and of course... Of course, of course, of course, support comes from you. That is right, you. Uh, Patreon.com slash barbands, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S. For as little as $1 a month, you can help keep this podcast running. And you can be as cool as someone like Britt Andrews, who is our latest patron and has thrown in $2 a month. Very, very much appreciated. Thank you, Britt. And thank you to everyone that has supported the podcast so far. You can find out more information and... Uh, yeah, get in on the action at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash barbands, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S. I'd also be really, really interested to know 
what you think the Patreon needs. What kind of things would entice you? What would you want to get out of throwing in a couple of dollars a month beyond simply just supporting an independent podcast? Would be really, really interested to know your thoughts. Uh, so drop me a line there. You can drop me a line on Facebook. Uh, A-M-F-A-I-B-B-P-O-D. Or my friends from Barman's podcast, of course. And you can also uh, write to us on Twitter at barbandspod, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D. And that is the same for the Gmail account as well, barbandspod at gmail.com. The guest this week is Charlie Parr. Charlie Parr is from Duluth, Minnesota. He is a hard-traveling and hard-hitting blues musician. uh, Very, very traditional in his approach and style, kind of in the mountain folk style. A guy who's put out something like 14 records or something ridiculous like that. A very, very prolific Uh, Very, very talented and very, very charming and engaging and interesting person. I've known Charlie for a few years. I was a big fan before he came to Australia for the first time. But uh, when I realized that he would be coming out and playing with Paul Kelly, that was what sealed the deal for me, really. Uh, As soon as he finished the show, I went out into the foyer and I got to meet him. And I've been coming to see him at every single tour that he has done since then. Uh, Charlie's a really, really interesting, really wonderful guy, and uh, yeah, we get to know a little bit about his story in this little chat. A couple of uh, points about the recording. Uh, So we recorded this at the side room backstage uh, at the Brass Monkey, which is a really nice little hole-in-the-wall downstairs pub slash venue in Cronulla in the Sutherland Shire. Uh, while we were recording in the first few minutes, you can hear some singing in the background. Uh, that was a sound check done by, uh, Eagle and the Wolf who joined Charlie for the entire tour. A really, really lovely, uh, duo doing, uh, yeah, really, really cool folky blues sort of stuff. Strongly recommend checking them out. Uh, it was also super, super hot that day. So there was a fan going in the room. Uh, we weren't about to turn that bad boy off for anyone. <laughs> so it does slightly seep into the mix, but uh, I think it's been mixed well enough that you can't particularly notice it. And primarily what you're hearing is me and Charlie talking anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think it. I think we dealt with it all right. Next week on the podcast, Chris Farron. You might have just seen Chris Farron uh, through the country on his tour with Mr. Jeff Rosenstock. And uh, he did a tour with his band with Jeff Antiago. Oh, God, am I saying that right? Antiago Vespucci. Uh, He's also been in the band Fake Problems, and he also has some solo stuff coming as well. And we talked about all of that. Super, super fun chat. Can't wait to share that with you. But for now, let's have a chat with Charlie Parr. Enjoy. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend, Charlie Parr. Hello, Charlie. 
How are you doing, David? I'm very well. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Uh, so Charlie's here uh, with me at the uh, backstage at the Brass Monkey and Cronulla, where you've played uh, quite a few times, I think. This might be the third time I think I've seen you here. Yeah, I think I've played here every time I've been in Australia now. Yeah. Which I think that's six, maybe five, six times. Yeah. So. <laughs> I actually remember last time quite vividly because uh, some guy who'd uh, maybe been at the bar a little bit too long here was so inspired by your music that he decided to pull out a uh, harmonica and start jamming with you. Apropos of nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and you were like, right. no, I'm probably not keen for that, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Which has to be one of the weirdest things I think I've ever seen happen at a show, and to think it happened at a tiny little blues show of all things. <laughs> yeah, it happens more often in my world than, than I care to admit, but yeah. you know, it's... it's Actually, it's nice that when people get inspired and they feel like they're, you know... Part of the show, Part yeah. of the deal. I mean, sometimes back in the States, people will dance and sing along and, you know, it's all it's all good. You know? yeah. Now, we met for the very first time about six years ago, maybe seven years ago, I think. Uh, so this was the very first time that you came out here, which I'm 90% sure it was the first time you came out here. So you were doing a run of dates uh, with... Paul Kelly. Yeah, that was which my is, first uh, tour here. Yeah, which is about as great an introduction as you can get to Australia, you know, of being asked to play a bunch of theatres with our most celebrated songwriter. That yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Was... How did you how did you hook up with Paul? Like was it just like was he touring through the States or did he reach out to you or what happened no, there? No, I I was just I was lucky. I had a, a really good at the time I had a really good manager here in Australia and and she happened to be you know, friends with Paul and had mm. given him a CD and he liked it and he invited me on board and yeah, it was dumb luck. Yeah, it was. So and it was great. I mean, every I remember that tour is just being one of the best best experiences. You know, the the whole the band, the crew, they all just kind of took me as one of their own and yeah. we all went everywhere together. So that's wonderful, man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I do this alone, I guess. I want to kind of trace back your initial interest in music and kind of where it transitioned from the point of, you know, like maybe hearing stuff on the radio or whatever and, you know, responding to liking music to kind of wanting to start playing yourself. So, um, tell us a little bit about kind of your upbringing and how music kind of factored into that. Was it a big part of your family life and stuff like that? Absolutely. I, you know, in my house, there wasn't a lot of TV going on. There was a lot of music going on. My my, the, the, there's like one big record player in the living room, right, right, and a big stack of records. And it was a weird record collection, but in there there was like old blues and old folk and real old country western music. So I got exposed to Lightning Hopkins, Manslips, Cone, Lead Belly, Woody Guthrie, Jimmy Rogers, the Carter family, Perfect, Johnny yeah. Cash, yeah, yeah, Johnny yeah, yeah. Horton, you know, just all these amazing characters. And then in the back of the house where my sister lived, I you know, I could I could go from the front of the house, be listening to Woody Guthrie and go to the back of the house and suddenly there's the Grateful Dead and Captain Beefheart, JJ wow. Kale, you know, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that of going on. Yeah. In the same house at the same time, and so I, I just got exposed to a lot of what, what I still love, you know, and I still listen to that music all the time. Yeah. And I started playing guitar when I was about seven and a half, or trying to play guitar. I didn't take any lessons, but I just, I, that was the point when I started just trying to pick stuff out. You yeah. Know, my, my guitar guys, you know, were specifically Mance Lipscomb and, and Mississippi John Hurt, 
and sure, Lightning yeah. Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those guys, and that's that's what I listened to all the time. When I got to be a teenager, you know, I, I kind of dabbled in other music a little bit. I listened to The Clash, and I listened to The Minutemen, and Who's Could and nice, yeah. Placements, and stuff like that. But, and, and, I, and I still do. It's like, you know, it, it's not to sound too... You know, hippy dippy about the whole thing, but it was like a big musical love fest for yeah, me. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. You know, there wasn't much that I was willing to say I, I would at least give it, listen to. You know, and it's yeah. kind of still that way. I still have tastes that run from, you know, from Lead Belly all the way to Black Sabbath and back. Sure. And just, yeah. Just it's all, it's all good music to me, and I, yeah. I love it all. I think that's important as well because, I, I guess with a lot of kind of blues players, a lot of them are so set in their ways of only listening to that kind of era of music, like, you know, like, the super early shit, too, like, the stuff you can only play on, like, gramophones and wax and shit. Well, and I appreciate that kind of stuff, and yeah. I've, I've, I've had periods where I've listened to a lot of that stuff, sure, and I've yeah, tried yeah. to play it, but the best lesson that I think I ever got, as far as guitar technique, mm. was when I finally, I finally got to meet Spider John Kerner at one point, and he's been no a hero shit. of mine for a long yeah. time, I know him now, we've done shows together, and he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. an old man, but he's doing really well. Mm. And he didn't even say this. This was just something he demonstrated to me with his music. Right. You know, he is a living embodiment of the folk process. Mm. You know, he takes it in and churns it out, and it's it's Spider John when he when he churns it out. You know? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't replicate anything. He's a cipher. You know, he does his thing. And I was so inspired by that idea that that I can I can take all this in. I mean, I'm in, you know, I feel at times that I've been inspired by Charlie Patton and Booker White, but also by Captain Beefheart, mm. you know, and John Fahey, you know, in equal measure, you know. So I, I think that's that was a really valuable thing for me. Yeah, sure. Were you always like a, a solo performer? Did you like have bands through school or stuff like that? Or? Oh, I always played by myself. Yeah, I, right. it's just like. This was always the kind of music that I was trying to play. Yeah, was was always the kind of music that that solo artists were playing, you know. And so I never really thought about band stuff. Recently, I've played with more kind of other people in an ensemble kind of setting, yeah. string band stuff. The last record has like a drummer and a bass player on it, but yeah. not not in a lot of, of quantity, you mm. know. Uh, so. You know, I kind of dabble in it, but but my 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 default is just do my thing by myself because yeah. that's the way that's what I enjoy the most. So when did you start playing? Like, do you remember the first time that you played live? Well, it was in the '80s, and and you know, I was I would occasionally you know I played mostly by myself, so I didn't really ever think about you know playing anywhere, you know. And this band that I knew they. They asked me to come down and play like the break set. They were going to do an extended break, and I right. would play at theirs. Right, and, and that was the yeah. first time I played in front of people. And it was, you know, it was kind of the usual thing. You get, you know, you get some people are like, "Wow, that's different and cool." And mm. not many people in my little town playing resonator guitars at the time. And that's what I've kind of always played. Yeah, but you know, and at the time I wasn't, I wasn't taken with it. I thought, you know, I could do this at home and hear myself better, so why bother? Yeah, yeah. But occasionally I'd do that, and then in the in the '90s, um, when I was living in the cities, I started playing out a lot more because I was living on the West Bank, and the West Bank in Minneapolis was kind of the area where all these folkies 
congregated Spider John and Dave Ray and a lot of guys that I felt like well you know maybe I maybe I could try this once in a while so I started playing you know about every week at the Viking Bar and just almost still just kind of for myself and for the community of it you know not for an audience so much as for myself and the other musicians who were around that I felt like I was I finally felt like I was part of a community mm. you know like minded people who played old goofy folk songs yeah 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 so. Yeah, yeah. So you were raised in Duluth? I was raised in Austin, Minnesota. Yeah, right. Which is four hours south of Duluth at the southern edge of Minnesota. Okay. And I, I can't imagine there would have been much of a music scene growing up there, or...? No, it's a small town. It's all kind of centered around the packing house. And yeah. so there ends up being a pretty vibrant music scene when I was young because there's only two things to do, and that's play sports or play music. Yeah, yeah, right. And my... My thing isn't sports, you know. My thing is music. <laughs> and so the people that I hung out with, we, we rode our bikes and we played music. Mm. And and it was I was the only one of, of the group who was into old blues and folk music. So, mm. you know, I ended up just kind of hanging out and playing my own stuff. And I'd go to the, you know, they'd set up shows in the park or in the church basement and stuff and for their rock bands to play, you know. And it was great. It was, it was really, you know, it was, it was a... It was a supportive community to come up in. And when did you move to, was it Minneapolis? Did you say? I moved to Minneapolis in the 80s, um, early 80s. I dropped out of high school and uh, ended up in Minneapolis, living in a big house full of people on the West Bank. And uh, just kind of, And I, you know, I was supposed to be going to school, but I'm a, obviously not a good student. Um, <laughs> and so... I'd, I'd go down and I'd see Willie Murphy play the piano on Friday nights, and I'd see Spider John on Sunday nights at the Viking, and I'd go up to the Times Bar to see Dave Ray play on Thursday. I just had my own wow. route, you know. And then all the other times, I'd be sitting around with my buddies playing, and I had another guy that would play the same kind of guitar that I did, and we'd, we'd just sit up in my little room and play the blues all night long and, you know, try to learn how to, you know, navigate some of these songs. And yeah. That's how it started. Yeah. So that kind of community was a lot more, like, I guess, you mentioned, like, being the only one kind of into blues growing up, and you moved to this area where there's a lot more appreciation and a lot more of a celebration of that sort of thing. Yeah, well, the West Bank has a long tradition of, you know, being into the into that kind of, you know, it was, it was one of the epicenters for the, that early... Uh, you know, folk revival of the late 50s and 60s yeah. with Colonel Rain Glover and, and even Bob Dylan to a certain extent before he left for the mm. East Coast. You know, he was, that's kind of part of the neighborhood he hung out in. So there's a lot of that kind of music going on at that time. And then it never really went away. It just kind of ebbed and flowed and right up until the time I got there in the 80s, it was still there. It was, there was a lot of cool places to see people just play and uh, coffee houses and yeah. amazing guitar players running around. You could see them any night of the week. So. Yeah. Well, I guess how many people kind of came to know you in, in more recent years has just been through a lot and a lot of touring. Like, you've gotten to go through a bunch of places and, you know, like, uh, like I said, I think I've seen you like six or seven times now. You've been here, down out here a bunch of times as well. Like, when did you kind of start picking up that kind of extent of, of touring? Like, was that something that you were interested in like or did that kind of were you kind of like well I've played everywhere there is to play here I might as well right. go and see what out, what's out there well a little bit of both I mean at some point you know you you do reach a saturation point where Ooh. you know you 
either have to take a break or you have to leave town. Um, yeah. And I definitely, you know, I, about, it was about 12 years ago. I had a job and I was trying to play and, you know, I just, uh, I, you know, I was, my marriage was working out and Emily told me, she said, you should quit your job and just play, which was, was great. It was also kind of a weird thing because once you, once I started into that life, yeah, you know, I, I find, I found myself in a position where I was, had, had it's hard to describe. I kind of had like both reached every goal I've ever wanted to reach. Yeah. Like being like, here I am. I'm just like on the road playing guitar. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. And simultaneously destroyed everything I had to that point. You know, my marriage, uh, all that kind of stuff just kind of started to crumble apart. But, you know, I, I was in this thing of like being able to play and, and, uh, and at a point now where. You know, I've managed to, you know, create a, an environment that's more right than wrong. I've, I've kind of fixed a lot of problems in my personal life. If it was possible, I'd become more kind of in love with the life of a touring musician and just getting to getting to think about and play music every single day is, is something I never want to take for, for granted. No, of course not. Yeah, talk us through those those first kind of times that you went out on the road by yourself like uh, what was that experience like after you know just kind of playing within that same sort of area for, for such a long period of time was it kind of like a not so much a culture shock but just realizing you know just how different some places out there can be to be a, as a performer yeah I mean because Minneapolis and Duluth are places where you know music is a big part of the local scene yeah so you know you get very used to people like constantly going out seeing shows and stuff yeah and then you end up in Indianapolis, Indiana, or you know Des Moines, Iowa, right. where it's a little different, mm. and people don't know who you are, and there's no good reason for them to come see you play, and so you know you 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 very quickly you know get your kind of humble mark back and start you know working your way through it, you know, and I kind of like that. I kind of really enjoyed you know getting on bills with other people that I hadn't heard of and opening for other people and just kind of getting back into the, the proving ground part of it where you yeah. you you not only have to do your best you have to you know really be engaged in it mm. and I found it was uh, it was uh, cathartic for me in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah. and so I mean I made a lot of mistakes too I mean I, there was times when I hit the road with buddies you know and then would end up like drunk every night and <laughs> doing stupid things yeah. and not being able to play my best. But you know, I kind of learned a lot of lessons about that too. And now, you know, through the years of doing it, I've found that I'm, I'm I've kind of reached a balancing point where I can have really I can have fun on the road. I don't need to you know act a fool every night. Mm. I can be confident in myself that I'm I'm doing the best I can do. Yeah. So that it, it feels good. I mean, it's taken me a long time, but I'm a like I said, I'm a bad student and a slow learner. So yeah. <laughs> you know, most people, I think, you know, get through that kind of phase relatively quickly. Yeah, exactly. And I guess coming to it as a, an adult as well, like you know, a lot of you know people, you know, go so so hard when they're in their like late teens, early or, or their early twenties or something like right. that. I mean. How old were you when you... You would have been, like, in your mid-30s or something when you first yeah. properly started doing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, it was good because I had, 
you know, I had all this time in my 20s to, like, just sit and play without pressure. Mm. Do some jobs that I really enjoyed. You know, when I hit the road, uh, you know, I had kind of the benefit of all that time behind me. Mm. And, you know, at this point in my life, I, you know, I kind of, there's not going to be a retirement plan from this. This is yeah. just what I do now, yeah. you know. And I'll do it until I, I, I'm done doing it, and then that'll probably be the end for me. So, <laughs> and that's fine. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. What about the first time you uh, you went uh, overseas and, and did some shows over there? Like, uh, was it Europe that you went to first? or England. England, yeah, yeah right. And uh, how, did, how, did they, how did they kind of take you over there? Well, it was really good because I was touring as support for Alan Sparhawk's uh, side project, The Black Eyed Snakes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And it's the completely sympathetic audience for what I do, you know. And at that time, it was, it was you know, it was even, it was even better because, you know, the snakes were kind of, hadn't been over there. There's a lot of... Uh, um, a lot of people like waiting for them to come, so I had a really, really receptive audience. And we did England, and then we did a little Scotland, and we went over to Ireland and finished up in Ireland, and it was just a just an amazing experience all yeah. the way around. You've known the Low guys for a while, haven't you? They, are they from a similar area? They're from Duluth, where yeah. I live. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think when I first moved to Duluth, I think like the second or third person I met was Alan Sparhawk. And right. He's, he, you know, he's always been really kind to me, and he's become a really, really good friend of mine. Um, yeah. We play together quite a bit when we're both in Duluth, and we have just a little show, we'll just play together, and it's, you know, it's always good to see Alan. And you've kind of developed a, a good rapport with a lot of musicians, like, throughout the years, like, you mentioned Alan, and, mm-hmm. and, and Paul Kelly's been a big supporter of you as well, like, uh, touring with Dan Mangan a few years ago, yeah. that was, which was a really, really wonderful tour, um, who are some of the other artists that you've kind of become really kind of bonded with over your years of touring? Well, for sure, guys like Spider John, Kerner, you know, I'm, I'm still such a huge fan of his. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg Brown, a songwriter from Iowa, has been a good friend of mine, and Iris Dement, his wife, has been uh, really helpful to me. You know, there's a lot of, there's, and there's it, even guys like C.W. Stone King, I was here, sure, yeah. I was here before he moved out of Australia. I came here and Qantas had managed to lose my guitar and CW brought a guitar down for me to borrow until I got mine back, you know, just really kind people. You yeah, know. what a general. And, and yeah, he is. And, you know, I've, I've been really lucky because I've met almost exclusively people who are kind and supportive and, you know, it inspires me to be the same, you know. Uh, I've, I've almost met nobody who hasn't been, you know, that way, so... I feel like it's been a pretty uh, uh, positive experience all the way around, you know. Yeah. Uh, and people that I really, really admire their work, like uh, James Yorkston comes to mind, you know, and getting to meet him and hang out with him sure. in England. Uh, so, I, I, you know, I've been really lucky to, to get to know some of these folks. A few times uh, you've been out here, um, your family has uh, come along as well, and your kids have... Uh, kind of gotten to see a bit of Australia as well. Like, um, are they kind of at an age where they're kind of are they are they interested in in playing music in in a similar sort of way, or do they have a kind of more of a comprehension of what it is that you do now? Like, or or is it just that typical they, like uh, kids rebellion thing of not wanting to do anything their yeah. parents do? I mean, my son is fourteen and my daughter's nine, and uh, I mean they both play piano. They're not really into music the way I was when I was young. Yeah. But that and that's fine, you know. I've definitely haven't, you know. I feel like um, 
you know, people when I was that age, they left me alone to do what I wanted to do, <laughs> and that's kind of what I'm feeling needs to happen with them too, you know. And we still go out on the road together every once in a while, you know. Uh, Emily and I are the best of friends, and you know, so we just kind of take our, you know, take our co-parenting kind of role very seriously. Sure. Every, you know, every once in a while we get to go out together, and the kids have a good time, but. You know, they've got friends, they've got lives, you yeah. know, and this is as much fun as it is for me. I don't think it's that much fun for the people who would be forced to come along, because what it is, it's a lot of driving, and then my payoff is getting to play the guitar, but, they, you know, people who are with me don't get the payoff. No. So it's like... Because I've seen it a hundred times. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's a whole day of driving, another town that you don't get much time to be in, so you don't get to really see the sights. Mm. You know, maybe maybe, maybe sometimes there's good food, like there will be tonight. Mm. Other times there's no food. Mm. You know, so you never know what you're going to get. And then you're back on the road again. Yeah. And so I haven't really been bothered by them not wanting to come out. I think it's probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe once or twice is enough. And they, yeah, at least then it's just like... This is this is this is you real. Yeah, right, right. you understand what I'm doing, and that's all you need yeah. to know. So. Um, so we're wrapping up here, but uh, before we do that, I asked this of all of my guests, and now is your turn, good sir. I want to know about your best and worst gig experiences as a performer ever. Now, uh, some people like to start on on a on a positive note and then just leave with a crushing finale. So go then go best then worst. But some people like to bring it up and go worse than best oh, yeah. so uh, the floor is yours you're free to arrange it as you choose yeah. <laughs> all right well worst gig stuff is hard because you know when I when I get on when I get a chance to get on the stage everything kind of goes away yeah. you know a good example of like the worst gig is also a good example of the best gig for me I recently I played at this place in Wisconsin in the middle of nowhere and it, it's just a buddy of mine asked me to come out and play and it's I figured it's like a venue no no it's a bar no no what it is is kind of a shed a shed kind of surrounded by a bunch of people living in like tents and lean-tos and RVs and caravans and whatever you want right there's a big pallet fire outside there's dogs everywhere wow everyone is drunk beyond <laughs> the moon I mean they're legless the whole audience I'm there, you know, and I'm like, this is the worst. I'm stone cold sober. And I mean, and it's just like, it's it's like smoky and dirty and filthy and loud. Yeah. And there's like a pickup band playing like, uh, you know, like Hank Williams covers when I get there. And so my buddy's there and we get set up and I'm on stage and he's, I'm on stage and he says, hey, you know, these guys are all here. Do you mind if they kind of, if we all just kind of sit in? And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the worst moment. No. <laughs> like, because I don't know. I mean, you know, and, and so, I, and it, it, you know, I felt like I was a guest in someone's home. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let it go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let it go and try to have fun and not worry about it. Right. So I started playing and these guys kind of tip in with me and they've been drinking a lot, you mm-hmm. know. I finished the first song and the and the bass player's like he's like, What the hell was that? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Well you never you never changed chords, you never modulated, you know, and I'm like, Some songs never do, you know. Mm. There's no rules here. <laughs> and I said but at that point I was starting to have a good time and I said, Look, you do if you want to modulate, man, modulate. Modulate. I'm not gonna. You do whatever you want. <laughs> he looks at me 
And then and then he had another drink, and then the next song, he was all over the place. And so I'm like, all right, well, he's having a good time. And the people were dancing. At one point, some dude takes off a lot of his clothes, Uh-oh. lays on the floor on top of this huge dog that's already laying on the floor. People are dancing around him, right? And this is wintertime in Wisconsin, so they got their snow boots on. Jesus. Tooks, you know. And he's laying on the dog with most of his clothes off, except for these big overalls that go up on his naked chest, you know. And he takes his teeth out of his mouth. He's got oh. false teeth. And he takes his teeth out of his mouth and he puts them on his crotch. Oh, no. And he's immediately surrounded by guys taking his picture on their phones. Yeah, right. Right? And so he, st- he notices that and he gets up and he takes his teeth off his crotch and he puts them on his head. And then he's like dancing around the dog with his teeth on his head. What? And so after he does that for him, more people filming him with their phones. Yeah, yeah. He takes his teeth off his head and sticks them back in his mouth. They're like, God. And I was watching the whole thing while I was playing. I was just about to throw up. Oh, my God. But, you know, they were having such a nice time. I played for two and a half hours. What? And at the end of the whole thing, I mean, pe- people were just, like, faced. It was, it was out of control. And I, you know... I hadn't been drinking because I was playing and I had to drive home. And I'm like, you know, so I was sober. I was the only one there. So they'd offered me to stay there, too. And I'm like, I can't. I can't. Yeah. And so after the whole thing was over, I got I got hugged. I got my hand shook nearly off. You know, help help you carry your stuff. Just like the, just like the, the most sincere expression of gratitude yeah. for this this insane party that just just happened and so it was like this was this was both this was the worst thing that could have happened to me yeah and it and it was the best show i've done in ages and i I felt like i brought more happiness to you know more people that night than i hadn't in so long so yeah it was it it was it was great and it also there's a there's a little lesson in there for me you know just yeah just to just to you know just to drop all the seriousness for a minute and play once in a while, and, yeah. and everything will work out fine. That is fantastic. <laughs> that is a hell of a story right there. Oh, man. I don't think I've ever seen the best and the worst combined in such a beautiful way. <laughs> but then again, I think that's what I love about you, Charlie. That's your ability to I combine am, the, the... I am the best <laughs> and the worst of all. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so the album is uh, Stump Jumper, and you can yeah. pick that up with any decent records or sold. Have you got a... Uh, Anything else on the horizon? Like, I know you, you were putting out, like, a couple of records a year for a yeah, while. Well, though. there's a new one. There's an EP that's done. It'll be out in April 16th, which in the States, it's Record Store Day. I don't know if you guys Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, we here. do have that, yeah. So, on Record Store Day, this record that I did, which is called I Ain't Dead Yet, will be out in a limited edition. Nice. And then, over the wintertime, I'm recording again, and probably going to include a lot of the Record Store Day release records on the new record, except they'll be re-recorded possibly in a in a caravan in New Mexico. That's I'm exciting. To work out the details on that. Oh, that's awesome. I want to go. I want to hit the road for a while, and you know, with a few guys, just like develop a little road band, play some shows, get you know, get to get really you know, get you know, get get that kind of camaraderie going that you get when you're on the road with someone for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know. And it's some place like you know in New Mexico and some little campground some in, somewhere in New Mexico and just just it, you know when it when it feels right just like nail these songs down live and fast mm. and then hit the road again. 
Perfect. And so on. And so on and so forth. And so on and so forth. That is perfect. Charlie, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me, man. Of course, man. I'm David J. Jones, and all my friends are This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.